Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Stephen Johnson uh, joins from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He covers TCU and has been there and uh, has been many times on this, this particular show. Stephen, great to have you. Thanks for your time. What was the reaction, your thoughts, others' thoughts on TCU's schedule when it came out back on Tuesday of this week? Well, I think the biggest thing was, for me personally, there are, there are some better road trips this year. I'm looking forward for the trip to Stanford, going up to play Kansas at Arrowhead, going at Utah. But I think on a more serious note, I don't want to say TCU got necessarily a bad draw, but when you really think about the teams we think could contend in the Big 12 this year, Arizona, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Kansas, even UCF now with K.J. Jefferson committed, TCU has to play all those teams, man. And uh, I think there's a steady balance. They get some at home, some away. But my biggest takeaway is if TCU wants to bounce back, they're going to have to go through, probably go through the top of the conference this year. Steven, uh, that non-conference schedule, Stanford uh, obviously now in the ACC, but uh, that's an interesting road trip that you pointed out. I mean, we'll see Long Island. That's kind of the, the, the layup game. But then uh, SMU making their uh, you know, first uh, appearance there in the uh, ACC as a member. Uh, so they'll get uh, some ACC battles there, but that's a that's a pretty spicy non-con. It feels like uh, we don't really quite know what Stanford's going to be. We expect SMU will be pretty good, but they should be uh, a little battle-tested, I guess, before they enter Big 12 play. Yeah, absolutely. 11 uh, Power 4 conference games. I mean, 11 Power 4 games on their schedule. I'm not sure how many other teams in the country have that many. I wouldn't think it's much, but like you said, I, I imagine it'll be a road game, first game of the season. So that, those games are always going to be tricky, man. So I think TCU, even if you think they'll be the better team, Stanford could probably present a challenge. Like I said, you're going across the country. It's a Friday night game. I think about that Colorado game a couple years ago where TCU started off slow and had to pull away. So it wouldn't surprise me at all at all we see something similar um even in that four game stretch before they get to use i mean guessing you of course like i said mentioned you got ucf i'm really interested to see what gus malzahn can do with kj jefferson he just seems like the perfect type of quarterback for him and then obviously smu has a lot of belief a lot of confidence of where their program was trending to after winning the aac last year so i'm sure they think they'll be able to make some noise i know they had a pretty good transfer class so it's, it's a tough schedule man it is a tough schedule there aren't a lot of games I automatically look on this schedule and just automatically mark a victory for TCU. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be dangerous, like throwing darts uh, blindfolded because we don't know who's going to jump up because the, the Big 12 always has a couple of teams, including what TCU did a couple of years ago, Baylor three years ago, among others. In fact, I, 
I don't know really how to do it in, in, in those who transition into the conference. So uh, you, you covered Joe Gillespie when he was the defensive coordinator in 2022 and they made the great run. You saw the story that he's now a high school coach in Waco. What do you remember? Mm-hmm. And I know 2023 didn't end very well. What do you remember about his role in that 2022 team? Well, I think one thing that, that should never be in doubt is Joe Gillespie knows football. I, I always enjoy just listening to him talk. He has a very cerebral approach. He's just so knowledgeable about the game. And obviously, the, when he was let go, the players around TCU, even returning players, guys that are going to the draft, they were all upset just because they believe he's just that good of a coach, but obviously it didn't work out. But the biggest thing I remember from uh, Joe from 2022 was just how they figured out a way to shut down their Texas team on the road in Austin, B. John Robinson, Xavier Worthy. Most of the nucleus of this year's Texas playoff team were on that team last year. And they managed to, I believe, hold them without an offensive touchdown. That was just, I thought that was top-tier coaching. And I just thought the development of Dylan Horton, and obviously he got Travis Hodges-Tomlinson uh, mm-hmm. back to playing, I think, at the standard he was used to playing in the years before that. So those are probably the biggest takeaways. And he was a big part of them getting to the national championship game, no matter what happened this past season. Well, go ahead, Craig. What are now the expectations after the, the fallback from last year uh, do they, do they have they retooled in the right spots in the right places in your opinion? I think so. Um, I don't want to say optimism because I think there was that quiet optimism last year. I don't know. I probably came on the show. I told you that I thought they win eight to 10 games last year. It was obviously wrong, but I think what TCU did this year, obviously they really are high on bringing in Andy Avalos over from Boise state. He has a track record, both at Boise and at Oregon of having some really productive defenses they're really good after the quarterback so they're expecting obviously more improvement on the defensive side of the ball and I think the biggest thing TCU did was they focused less on maybe trying to grab uh, a former four-star from Alabama or, or Florida or LSU and they really prioritized guys that had been productive whether that was in the Mountain West Conference with like an Eric McAllister and a couple linemen or even going down to Louisiana Tech where they grabbed a you know a two-time all-conference offensive lineman so I think the biggest thing they did was, hey, we're not – let's do less about potential and focus more on actual proven production. So I think they have some guys that can be immediate contributors uh, next year. Do they have their answer at quarterback? Is it is it Josh Hoover? Is that just far and away the clear answer in your mind? I think so. Uh, you know, that's why they, they had to navigate the transfer portal. Um, come, I think they were really coming into the mindset. They didn't want to bring anybody that would push Josh out because they do believe he's the future of the program. So that's why they brought in Ken Seals from Vanderbilt. Has starting experience. He's a local kid. So he's an ideal type of backup quarterback where if Hoover gets hurt, you would throw in a guy that started over, I believe, a dozen ga- or two dozen games in the SEC. But they, they're very high on Josh Hoover. They think that second year with Kendall Browse and not, you know, not playing at Oklahoma and Texas, that he'll see another big jump, kind of like what we saw from what, what he made uh, in the spring before last season. Steven, the basketball team is really good. I saw them in person. All three of those overtimes, man, uh, they're explosive and obviously have been playing very, very well. What have you seen from them? And, and, and obviously moving forward, they're a dangerous team in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. They have the number one fast break uh, offense in the country. Um, Emmanuel Miller, I think, is an all-Big 12 forward. He's a guy who hit a game winner against Houston, scored 20 at Kansas, scored almost 30 points against Oklahoma. And I think what you're seeing now is you know, they brought back five returners and five transfers. So there was a little bit of a filling out process that needed to be done. They had to 
send Jameer Nelson down to the bench and insert Trey Tennyson into the starting lineup. And I think that switch has allowed them to be a lot better in the half court while also maintaining how dangerous they are on the break. The only thing I think the team is missing right now is they don't quite defend like they did last year, but they obviously, I think, are a better offensive team. So Dixon wants to see them improve a little bit on the defensive end. But, you know, depending on their matchup in March, all the all the brackets kind of – I don't want to say they're a lot, but right now they have a greater than 80% chance of making the tournament. So assuming nothing, you know, there's no collapse in February, I think they could be one of the most dangerous teams come March. And then right now I think they're projected around the eight seed. You know, if they keep up their winning ways, who knows how high they can rise, maybe to the four or five seed line if they just keep up their winning streak. Is there a level of excitement uh, for tomorrow, knowing that this is the last time that Texas uh, will, at least for, as far as we know, be rolling in anytime soon? Absolutely, and also it's a big deal. More so, I think, from TC perspective, they're retiring a jersey at Kenrich Williams. They think Desmond Bain will be there. Uh, former head coach Trent Johnson will be there. They're really trying to make that a spectacle. So I think they're more so excited about that, just honoring kind of one of the players that kind of helped start start this rebuild for TCU from going, you know, when I was coming up, TCU was kind of a doormat basketball program. And now, you know, they're, they're probably one of the top teams in the Big 12. So they're going to be honoring his jersey. the big NCAA tournament caliber game. And obviously that win for TCU will be another feather in their cap and another good win for their resume. Stephen, uh, Sonny uh, Dykes, with the year that he had in 2022, that almost went flawlessly. I, I mean, other than like everybody else would have probably been bludgeoned by Georgia, but it was so good. And then last year, it, it, it probably even though you had predicted, and, and that's you're not the only one, eight, nine, ten wins. How how has he been? How is that not changed him? He is who he is. That's what makes him very good. But has that have you noticed anything about what he's saying or whatever else that might be different? I would say his approach has been similar. Like I, I kind of mentioned how he, you know, reshifted his focus in the transfer portal. But the, obviously, the great thing about working with Sunday and covering this team is, you, you know, there are certain coaches when things aren't going the way, when the lose, when the losses are piling up, they they, they express it, they show it. But you know, like you kind of mentioned, Sunny is who he is, so he's maintained that calm and cool approach. And I think, um, like I said, they're really excited about the defensive coordinator hire. They really think that could be the key. I think, what were they, 0-4, 0-5 in those one-score games yeah. a year ago after they were played in 2022. So they think with, with some improvement on defense, and you know, those things don't only balance out. They were great in 22, weren't so great in 23. So you would hope the football guys would, you know, give you a couple more bounces and you improve your record in those one-score games. So I, I think he be- believes the team will have a better chance of bouncing back next season. They're kind of going in maybe with less expectations, but they know the standard is, they got to make a bowl game next year for sure. Steven, I don't think that you've been around long enough to have seen Baylor beat TCU in football. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he's only 50. I'm, I'm just, just <laughs> yeah, Steven, I mean, you're much younger than that. It's been, it's been a while is all yeah. I'm saying. I don't know if you've been on the beat long enough to, to have seen Baylor beat TCU in football, but that's obviously one of the four protected rivalries in this new Big 12. Um, I was just curious from your standpoint and hearing TCU fans of just what kind of a sense of the importance of that rivalry do you get from the frog side of things? Oh well, before I came here, like I'm, I'm from Memphis, I, I I knew it was a rivalry because I vaguely remember, you know, when that, that big game I think with Trayvon Bolkin played, and that was a game that kept TC out the playoffs. Yeah. So I imagine it was a rivalry, like your typical conference rival. But coming here to Fort Worth and learning more about the rivalry, being at those games, even though Baylor hasn't been great the last couple of years, 
it's intense, man. It's different. I, I wish they would have gave him a, a better nickname so it could kind of resonate a little bit more on the national scale. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of the better rivalries in the Big 12, and certainly in the country when you think about Power Four conferences, when you just think about how close the schools are, obviously the re- religious ties to both of them. And they have this history. TCU kept Baylor out of the playoff a couple years ago. Baylor not TCU out of uh, in that game I mentioned. So I, I think it's a great rivalry, and I think it speaks for itself when it's just one of the only four games that's going to be played annually in this new Big 12. You know what's interesting about this, the new four, along with we just saw four new teams, is you really don't know yet. There are some, there are some, I guess, from age years or even regionality like Baylor TCU, but there's going to be a couple of rivalries we don't even know exist right now just because there'll be an intense game uh, maybe something that happens that's controversial. It'll be kind of fun to see how that morphs over the next two or three years here in this conference. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I see potential definitely for maybe a game like Arizona. Arizona's going to be one of those schools that wants to recruit more in Texas. Um, I'm not sure how good they'd be. Obviously, they had the coaching change. But obviously, I think they're a school that TCU can kind of have maybe one of those intense battles with, and you see you know, fans clamoring for them to be on the schedule more. Obviously, there's some history with Utah back from their Mountain West Conference days. They play at Utah this year. So, like you, I'm excited to see what rivalries form. And, like, if, if there's going to be a team or some team that can kind of fill that power gap left by Texas and Oklahoma, or are we just going to be in a situation where every single year there's going to be a different team that kind of rises up and, you know, ascends uh, to the top of the conference? Thank you, Stephen. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Yes, appreciate you guys. Stephen Johnson. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.